If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, leading ladies. Welcome to the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, leading ladies. Welcome back to another episode of the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. So I'm excited today to bring you another great guest who is going to share with us her personal journey and her story as a physician. And also she's going to share with us her story as a survivor. So today I am really, really excited to bring to you Dr. Alexia Gaffney, MD. She is a triple board certified infectious disease subspecialist, internist, and pediatrician. She is above and beyond this. She is a mother, a speaker, an author, a coach, and also a breast cancer survivor. Dr. Alexia invited the world into her life when she is diagnosed with stage three invasive lobular breast cancer at the age of 37 on April 3rd, 2018. She publicly shared her journey through social media as she underwent a double mastectomy, chemotherapy, and radiation therapy for her breast cancer treatment. Cancer has transformed her life and her worldwide view, and she has been healing and transforming herself and others through her speaking, teaching, and writing. Dr. Alexia also utilizes advocacy via conferences, community engagement, and social media to educate at-risk communities about wellness, healthy lifestyles, disease prevention, and management. She is a firm believer in what she calls the treat, eat, drink, and think approach to cancer care and healing. So help me to welcome Dr. Alexia to our podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and just to share my story. Absolutely. And I can't wait to share your story with um, our listeners. You have been very open and very vulnerable with us about all that you have gone through. Um, you have been able to, I think, inspire and uplift, you know, a lot of women in sharing your story. And you've also been able to, um, as you stated in your bio, to transform the lives of others as well. So I want to start out just by asking you or by you sharing with us, with the listeners, just a little bit about your journey. So if you can just, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a physician and who or what may have inspired you along the way. 
So I've known probably like many of us since I was four years old that I wanted to be a doctor. I was not a sickly kid. I didn't necessarily grow up around um, sick people per se, you know, not in my household, not in my immediate family. Um, I had all my grandparents in my life till I was a young adult. So I don't know what inspired me to decide I was going to be a doctor and specifically a pediatrician. But that's why I went to med school. I went to med school to become a pediatrician. And along the way, I started liking adults and grown people who (laughs) I went to med school thinking adults are beyond help. They're set in their ways. You cannot you know, change their habits. So I am going to take care of and help bring up healthy children who will become healthy adults. Um, But like I said, I fell in love with the adult specialties. And so I've decided to do a combined internal medicine and pediatrics residency thinking I'll just be the world's best primary care doctor, but I'm not delivering babies and I'm not about to be hanging out with the orthopods like the family (laughs) practice. (laughs) halfway through residency I was like "Mm, I don't know about this primary care thing either it's a little too much Um, and so I, I remembered that during my med school years I spent all my time in the HIV clinics the STI clinics and that sort of connects back to my experience um, with HIV in my community, like uh, observing the impact it had on the community. I lost my first godmother to HIV AIDS in the 80s before it was a disease of Black women. I lost my god sister um, to um, AIDS complications in the early 90s. And so, I don't know, maybe I had a natural affinity to HIV and infectious diseases. Um, so I did my fellowship, which, you know, it was a total act of God, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> and here I am um, doing, you know, HIV in an outpatient primary care setting, and I love it. Wow, that's amazing. So you went from being, I don't know that I ever knew that, from being a pediatrician <laughs> to internal medicine. Yeah. And so this must have been before the days of med peds. Because you know no, how no, they- No, no, no. Oh, did you did med peds. Yeah. You did do med but peds. I okay. okay. full thinking I was going to be a pediatrician and then realized, dang, I like adults too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's great. Wow. Yeah. And then and then even, you know, narrowed it down even further um to infectious disease. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. And it's amazing how, you know, sometimes like you mentioned that there are things in our lives that happen that sort of push us in in a certain direction. So certainly mm-hmm. having those family members, you know, that um were affected by HIV, you know, leading you to that to that work. So so that's great. So tell us a little bit about your day-to-day as a woman physician, as an infectious disease specialist. What does that look like and who do you serve? So um, it's the thing about being an infectious disease doctor is you kind of serve everybody. And that's what I love about this specialty. I don't have to stick with one organ system or just one set group of patients. Um, So on a given day, I might be seeing one person with Lyme disease and somebody else with Uh, an atypical mycobacterial infection or tuberculosis of the eye. I might be working up and diagnosing a parasite or, you know, I could be, you know, helping get someone who just had a bone marrow transplant revaccinated so that they can 
sort of re-enter the world with their new baby immune system. And so um, I take care of the young and old. Of course, HIV care and HIV prevention or PrEP is a, a huge part of my practice. But I also inherited an, a family medicine practice that was 40 mm. years old. So I have this whole gang of people who are like in their 70s and 80s and 90s who are my primary care patients, oh. um, which is pretty cool. And then I have these very young patients who are like transitional patients from coming from their pediatric uh, clinics. Usually they have chronic medical conditions, which may include infection or they have multiple comorbid conditions um, that, you know, a a plain internist, not to, not that it's plain, but that an internist doesn't necessarily understand some of the pediatric aspects of their care and doesn't do the handholding that we tend to do in pediatrics. So I, I love that I get to marry all those things together because the world tried to convince me that I was wasting my time doing a dual residency and then you did a dual residency and now you're doing a fellowship. Like you're not going to use all that crap. And I use it all every single day. Absolutely. And I could, I could see that, right? Because even in, you know, my practice of family medicine, so where it's a little bit more generalized, right, or broader than kind of what you practice, we do see everything. So you're yeah. dealing with, you know, the, the young population and the older population, and all of what that encompasses, which a lot of it sometimes is dealing with infectious diseases, right? And, mm -hmm. and knowing how to manage those things. Yeah. So yeah, so that's great. Hey, leading ladies, stay right there. And we will be back with my amazing guests. This conversation is so good that you don't want to miss it. So stay tuned. Hello, leading ladies. I have some exciting news to share with you about an organization that's near and dear to my heart. National Medical Fellowships is celebrating its historic impact and future work with a hybrid national event on Saturday, November 5th in Miami, Florida. NMF was founded in 1946 as a precursor to the civil rights movement working to provide scholarships to grow the number of black and brown physicians. And they have provided over $45 million in financial assistance. Reimagining Healthcare Celebrating Equity Change Agents ushers in a new chapter with inspired leadership and an energetic agenda to achieve health equity. This event celebrates the extraordinary impact of NMF's longstanding partners, scholars, and alumni who guided NMF's historic success and who continue to make a difference for those without access to equitable health care. So listeners of Women Physicians Lead, you are welcome and invited to attend virtually or in person in Miami or donate today to advance NMF's important work. Visit nmfonline.org forward slash reimagine to learn more. That's nmfonline.org forward slash reimagine to learn more. I look forward to seeing you in Miami. Hey there, leading ladies, it's Dr. Lisa. Thanks for hanging in with me. Now back to our amazing interview. So in your, you know, in your specialty of being an infectious disease doctor, you know, obviously um, 
having to have that expertise with with us going through a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, What challenges did you face there? So um, with the pandemic, you know, it it was one of those things where we were sort of flying by the seat of our pants like the rest of the world, but people were looking to us to already be the experts in COVID, even though the whole planet had never seen this before. There was a lot of things that we were able to pull from. Um, We sort of looked back to the 1918 Spanish flu and historically what happened there. How long did that pandemic last? Um, what um, pitfalls did they have, like coming out of isolation too early um, and seeing massive spread or upticks of the, the virus then. So we use those, that kind of historical information to sort of help guide our colleagues inside and outside of the hospital. And then we kind of just took it as we went like the rest of the world did. Um, Being affiliated with the university hospital, I was able to participate in some of the early clinical trials, like getting patients enrolled and seeing what the outcomes were. Um, And so that was really cool. Um, You know, but all the cool things are never good for our patients. Right, (laughs) right, right. Um, So that was, but it was crazy. I remember when the pandemic hit and people Um, really began to be hospitalized in mass here in New York, my family was like, you're not going back into that hospital, are you? And I'm like, listen, if they need me, I can't just stick my head in the sand. Like there's a limited number of people with our expertise. And so if they need me, I'm going to help out. And I did, but they took into consideration my past medical history, my health, the fact that I checked ticked all those boxes for immunocompromised person and they made concessions to allow me to safely round on patients. So um, I was happy to jump in and help out while I, when I could and when I was needed. And I was so happy for them to be like, all right, we got a handle on these things. We don't need you no more. Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to say personally, thank you for your service and thank you for jumping in there and for being one of those physicians, you know, to help us to sort of manage, you know, and get through those, those rough times. So I want to switch now a little bit to your own personal story. Um, And, you know, as women, we often, and we do not often, but we do face challenges in our profession, you know, from gender um, inequality to pay inequality, um, dealing with, um, having to deal with motherhood and then having a profession that's very demanding and, and challenging. Um, and we sometimes fall into a place where we begin to put ourselves last, right? Where everybody else comes first, including our patients. And we tend to kind of put ourselves last. Um, but you were kind of forced to put yourself first when you were faced, you know, with the, the news of being diagnosed with breast cancer, so if you can just take us through sort of what that was like, what your initial reaction was, um, what were some of the changes that you had to make for you and your family? And then now as a survivor, right, on the other side, um, what does that look like? Yeah, so um, I was 37 when I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, I was in the process of finalizing a divorce with my ex-husband. I had not too long prior purchased my first home by myself. And I was part of a very busy practice. 
Um, we went from a three partnered practice to a two partnered practice and it just suited us well because um, our, our, our previous third partner just didn't have the same grind and hustle as myself and my partner at the time did. And so, you know, it was, you know, running from room to room, high-fiving each other in the hallway, um, you know, negotiating contracts with the hospital and, you know, making money and taking good care of people, you know, and my philosophy has always been like, if I take good care of my patients, the money will come, you know, money has never been the priority. I don't think there's better things to do than to go to medicine for the sole purpose of <laughs> oh, making absolutely. money, but <laughs> I was making good money, you know? Um, but like you mentioned, I was at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, my, my kid was definitely first and my practice was my second baby. And all of those patients, those, you know, 20, 25, 27, 32 patients in a day that I was seeing, that was my priority, you know, get in, see the patients, do the work. You know, I would run home, grab my daughter from the aftercare program at her school and sometimes bring her back to the office to either continue seeing patients or, you know, close out charts, do billing, et cetera. And I was working, working, working. And the cost of that was my health and well-being. I didn't know that I was unhealthy until it was like, you ain't healthy, you got cancer. Um, but I would, I was just constantly on the run, constantly on the go, you know, wake up, fly through the house, run around doing things, get my daughter to school, fly to work, you know, run through the day, maybe eat, maybe not eat, have another cup of coffee, have a Coke Zero, power through the day. Um, and then just, you know, charge up on carbs. You know, I ate more bagels than a little bit. I'm a, a recovering bagel addict. <laughs> yes, I and love bagels also. <laughs> cinnamon raisin. <laughs> yes. And it wasn't until maybe like eight months, well, maybe like a year before my cancer diagnosis, I had an early scare and, you know, scare after scare after scare. I was like, all right, I have to get healthy. I have to get better. I have to try to stave off cancer because there was just too many signs that cancer was coming if I did nothing. So, you know, I actively lost weight. I lost like 26 pounds. I began to exercise. I began to eat healthier and cleaner. And yet, and still here came this cancer diagnosis. Mm. Um, and so what I'll say is we can absolutely reduce our risk of cancer, right? There are many cancers, including breast cancers that will be preventable for some people. I did not consider the fact that I had cancer a failure that I got it in spite of, you know, making all those lifestyle changes. They were important to make and I was probably in better condition than I might have been, you know, when it was time to have surgery and undergo oh, yeah. treatment. But that being said, I was still doing all that other stuff. I was just eating better and 25 pounds lighter, not getting enough sleep, not drinking enough water, not managing stress, not prioritizing my own health and well-being because I was at the bottom of my own totem pole. Yeah. So when yeah. this cancer diagnosis came, um, it, it took a while for me to gain my sanity and put myself at the top of the list. Um, you know, like many of us, I was so worried about, oh my God, I don't want to lose my livelihood or my income. I don't want to let my partner down. I don't want to leave my patients hanging because nobody can take care of them like I can take care of them. You know, all that mm -hmm. crazy 
you know, people may not handle my patients with white gloves or, you know, give them a hug and know their children's names or remember their birthday and things like that. But they can prescribe them antibiotics and HIV meds and order, you know, whatever they need to order. Um, so they can treat them. They may not be me giving the care, but there's somebody out there who can do my job, right? Yes, yeah. So I'm very reluctant to stop working um, when I first got diagnosed. And in fact, I came back to work um, like five weeks post-op from my bilateral mastectomy. Oh, and I was, like had already received my first dose of when I came back to work and it didn't take long for me to realize that this is absolute insanity. Um, someone is going to cause you harm because as much as you care about these patients, they don't care that much about you. They want what they want. They want it from you and they'll tell lies to get through this door and have their visit with you. Yeah. In order for me to see patients back in 2018, when I was going through cancer treatment, my staff was having to do the equivalent of the kind of COVID screening questionnaires that we mm. we do now before we let somebody in the building, right? Is anybody in your house sick? Are you coughing? Right. Yada, yada, yada. And we'd go through a whole visit and talk about their Lyme disease or talk about their diabetic foot infection. And without fail, at least one to three times per day, somebody would be like, Doc, can you look in my ear? Well, why do you want me to look in your ear? Well, because my ear's been hurting. I can't really hear out this one. And my throat's kind of scratchy. And actually, my sinuses are kind of... Oh, kinda wow. Well, what did you ask before you came in the door today? Did you have a cough, a cold, runny nose, fever, acute illness, anything that's contagious? Well, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about that. Or, well, yeah, I did, but I didn't, I, I really wanted to see you. I didn't want to see the other doctor. So I just told them no. And I'm like, wow, these people will kill me with their cold and they don't even care about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, was- so even in the, even in the belly of having, you know, this diagnosis, knowing that a cold or something like that could take you out. Um, still, you know, you were willing to almost risk that, right? To yeah, yeah to to, yeah. to to stick to your commitment, you know, of yeah. seeing your patients, which is crazy, and I don't yeah. recommend that. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely, I not. needed that. I needed to go through that. I needed to have that experience. If my primary care doctor, who was also my partner in practice, if my breast surgeon, if my medical oncologist, if my plastic surgeon was like, you can't work. You just can't do it. You're not able to. I would have resented everybody no matter how good it was for me. Um, So I needed to go and experience what it was to be fatigued and brain fogged and all of that stuff. And I tapped out um, without harming anybody, but tapped out knowing that it's just not possible to do this. It's not reasonable. I mean, it's not reasonable, excuse me. It was absolutely unreasonable. Um, It wasn't fair to me. It wasn't fair to my patients. And all of my healthcare team was like, girl, I'm so glad you tapped out because I didn't want to have to be the one to tell you, or, you know, you were so, you know, strong-willed and so hell-bent on going to work. Like nobody was going to tell you, no, I'm so glad you tapped out, but I needed to be the one to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so what happened once you made that decision? What what was the rest of your journey like for you? Yeah. So 
um, it became a lot easier to really, really take care of myself, you know, or and to allow myself to be taken care of because um, I didn't have to rely on anti-nausea medicines the way that I did or, you know, pain relievers and things like that. Yes, I did take medicines, but I really was able to tap into some more holistic approaches to taking care of myself, um, you know, really able to make sure that I was hydrating enough, getting in enough calories, getting in, you know, fresh cooked, healthy foods, because we had all day to just take care of me and do this. I didn't have to stress about missing appointments or being late to appointments because I wasn't fighting my way out the office to get where I needed to be. And, you know, as things went on, there were times where I had five healthcare appointments in a single day. Like how in the heck was I going to ever juggle that with going yeah. with going to work and, you know, doing chemo and going for blood draws and going for physical therapy and lymphedema therapy and all of these things. Like there was taking care of myself was absolutely a full-time job. And it took so many people to come stay in my home and help me take care of my daughter um, and get her to and from school and get her to and from dance classes and so many things that I was, it was just, yeah, it, it was such a, a blessing to be able to stay at home. It really was. Hey, leading ladies, stay right there. And we will be back with my amazing guests. This conversation is so good that you don't want to miss it. So stay tuned. It's time for physicians to rise up, step out, stand out, and take back our place in healthcare to be the respected voice and leader in our communities. My mission is to help physicians transition into leadership roles by equipping them with the personal and professional development skills that they need to be successful and also to help them care for themselves physically, mentally, and spiritually. If you have experience practicing in your given specialty, if you have a gift for innovation and building teams, if you have the ability to bring about change in others, if you have solved problems in your practice setting or community, then there are organizations that need you to claim your rightful seat at the table and lead. If you are ready to be a leader in healthcare and change the status quo, then I invite you to book a complimentary strategy discovery session with me at schedulewithdrlisa.com. That's schedulewithdrlisa.com. Hey there, leading ladies. It's Dr. Lisa. Thanks for hanging in with me. Now back to our amazing interview. During that time, you know, when you were going through your treatment and, and dealing with your diagnosis, um, you still had enough strength to share that story with us. Yeah. So what, was, what was the decision behind you really just being so vulnerable and sharing, you know, down to the, the pictures of you going through your reconstructive surgery and, and all mm -hmm. of the, those things that you, you dealt with? Yeah. So I had two weeks between finding out I had breast cancer and then undergoing my bilateral mastectomy. And I was searching the internet looking for mastectomy scars on black bodies, mm -hmm. um, looking for, you know, maybe a little inspiration and motivation from someone I related to a young black woman, a young mother. 
And I could not find it. It it did not exist in 2018. And, and if it existed, it was very well hidden. I could not find Black bodies with mastectomy scars. Could not find Black bodies with deep reconstructions or implant reconstructions. Like I had no frame of reference for what I was going through. And then even when I would see young cancer survivors or um, you know, people who are influencers in the AYA, AYA or adolescent and young adult cancer space, there was so much misinformation. And I was like, oh my God, like this is horrifying. There's either absolutely no information or there's like all this misinformation. So I kind of felt like as a physician, um, and a black woman, I needed to put this out there. I needed people to see what cancer looked like in a young adult black woman. What did, what could the cancer experience be like for a single mother, you know? And, um, that is where I learned, like through that whole process, the sharing, having to be taken care of, needing so much help with my daughter, which I prided myself on, you know, doing it all and making it look so, um graceful and well put together like having to release all of that is really what taught me vulnerability because mm. i had zero vulnerability before yeah yes. like, whatsoever none whatsoever <laughs> um and so you know once i learned that and realized how much of a strength and a superpower it was to be vulnerable and mm. to ac- accept help and then how easy it became to ask for help when I just accepted it when it was offered. I needed to share that too, because as Black women, we don't do that. We don't know how to do that. We're not taught to do that. You know, we're taught to give 110%, you know, work twice as hard, come early, stay late. You got to show up and show out. You got to do the most. Don't let, you know, your your motherhood be an excuse for why you're not being successful in all these things. And so I didn't know how to be sick. Mm. <laughs> and so I had to do something with that. I had to turn my pain into purpose. And I had to make peace with those circumstances some kind of way. And that way turned into um, helping so many people um, through through just my lived experience and through my expertise and sometimes through the combination of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you say um, turning pain into purpose, right? Because a lot of times we can get so um, or feel so defeated a lot of times in Mm -hmm. pain, especially when we're going through something so devastating um, as what you've gone through, Um, but not allowing yourself to kind of live in that space and to, to share your story and to, at the end of the day, turn it into something that could help others. Um, the first thing that you mentioned was the fact that you wanted to share your story, obviously, because there are not a lot of stories out there, you know, that are highlighting this disease in young African-American women. And we know that African-American women are 31% more likely to have, uh, mortality from breast cancer, right. And the incidence among, um, women less than 45 is higher among African-American women. So just being mm-hmm. able to relate that part of your story is important to empower women to take care of themselves, to get their mammograms, to, to listen to their bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And to know that 
that this disease um, can affect them. And then the part about um, not accepting help, I mean, that is just the anthem, <laughs> I think, for, for us as women, especially as African-American women feeling like we have to do it all. Yeah. So, yeah, so showing your vulnerability in that was also very, was also very helpful. So thank you again, just for sharing your journey with us and for, for giving us a, a sneak peek into your world um, and for empowering, you know, us as women to make sure that we take care of ourselves and put ourselves first. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if I could leave everybody listening with one thing, do yourself breast exams. And like you said, listen to your body. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, not because I was due for um, a mammogram. I was 37, right? I, I right. was diagnosed with breast cancer because at 35, I was doing a self-breast exam and found a lump. And that led to a biopsy and a lumpectomy and loads of information. Um, but even as a healthcare professional, I still lived in a black body. So I still was on the receiving end of disparate care. I was still was on the receiving end of being refused tests that I was asking for specifically. I was refused a prophylactic mastectomy. I didn't even have to have this breast cancer in the first place. So mm -hmm. even as physicians, we still have to advocate for ourselves. We still have to push and we, you know, we still got to take that time to do our self-breast exams and go get our routine health screening because a self-breast exam saved my life. If I didn't know my body, if I wasn't paying attention to what was going on, I would have been well beyond a stage three breast cancer. I probably would have been diagnosed metastatic because, I, you know, according to the guidelines at that time, I wasn't getting a mammogram till I was 40. Right, right, right. right. Exactly, <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> Exactly that. Yes. So all the, so all the more reason for us, like you said, to be advocates for ourselves, right. To know our bodies, um, to listen, to make sure that we also have a tribe around us that will advocate for us as well. Right. Because in the, in the, sometimes in the belly of the pain that we're going through, we may not have the wherewithal to even speak for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I always wonder what do non-physicians patients do right they're faced with these things you know so you know we just we have to be informed we have to advocate for ourselves we got to advocate for our patients and you know we got to listen to these bodies and we got to get vulnerable and get yes. and ask for help even if it's could you hold down these children or I need a, a day off so I can go take care of me yes absolutely well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, if anyone wants more information about your story or if there's anything that you would like to share with us, where would they go? So send us? Um, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter are all at Dr. Alexia. So at D-R-A-L-E-X-E-A. Um, you can also check out my website and blog at dralexia.com. Um, breast cancer has brought so many wonderful things to my life, not the diagnosis itself, but um, just turning that pain into purpose. So I've created a number of products and services um, that are geared towards breast cancer survivors, journals, and things like that. 
um, but just also for our general health and wellness, I created a supplement um, line um, with just general health and wellness and with immune health and wellness in mind pre-pandemic. So right. <laughs> you can check out my supplement line at dralexia.com slash supplements. Um, and I just look forward to connecting with you all soon. Thank you so much again for sharing your story and for sharing with us how you turned pain into purpose. So you can come back anytime that you want to share with us in the future. And um, I'm sure our listeners are going to really look forward to exploring your sites and learning a little bit more about your story. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. To continue receiving leadership support, I invite you to join our private Facebook group, Building Women Physician Leaders at www.leadingladiesincharge.com. Until next time, take care. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our author shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.